All right, Alexander, let's talk about the grain deal. We have yet to do a video on uh, the grain deal, me and you, but a lot has happened. Where should we begin? Do you want to start with the actual uh, breaking down of the grain deal, which from what I understand is not so much Russia pulling out of the grain deal, but it's just letting the grain deal, the three months, letting it expire. And there's another three months that uh, the, according to Putin, the collective West, Ukraine and the collective West, the EU, they can get their act together and agree to to the terms that the Russians have. And maybe at the end of three months, the grain deal can resume. Other than that, I believe it's it's terminated officially. I'm, uh, I'm maybe I'm summarizing the details of, of, of the contract, the agreement too simply, but that's my general understanding. So we have the grain deal. We have the afterwards. Of the after the the great deal, which is what, I, for lack of a better word, you can call it a blockade, maybe of of the Black Sea. I don't know. I'm, maybe there's another word that can describe what the Russian Ministry of Defense said with the ships transiting into Odessa, and then we have the response from the collective West to the announcement from the Ministry of Defense. So let's let's start from the the beginning and work our yeah. way up to to where we are today yeah let, 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 let's do that so let's start from the absolute beginning i mean the, the grain deal was initially agreed between the russians the ukrainians turkey and the un and it started on the 2nd of july last year and it was originally for six months and it was a reciprocal deal so the the deal was that the russians would not interfere with shipping leaving odessa and other Ukrainian ports carrying grain. Now, the Russians up to this point, and this is an important point to say and to stress, they had not up to that point interfered with Ukrainian grain ships from the moment the special military operation had started, and they had not imposed a formal blockade on Ukrainian ports. Ukraine's ships weren't leaving Odessa at that time for various reasons. And one of them may have been that they planted lots of sea mines in the approaches to Odessa in anticipation of a Russian amphibious landing, which never happened. And their ships weren't really keen to travel through these minefields. So there was no, no blockade at that time. But the Russians did this deal. They said, right, the Ukrainian ships can leave. The minefields can be cleared. Ukraine can clear its own minefields. And in return, a number of conditions. Firstly, the EU will lift all restrictions on the re-export of Russian grain, fertilizer and ag other agricultural products through uh, EU ports. The EU will lift insurance sanctions on ships transporting Russian grain from Russian ports and EU ports. And there will be a mechanism created whereby one Russian bank, the Russian Agricultural Bank, is recon reconnected to the SWIFT interbank payment system so that it can receive payments, so Russia can receive payments for the food which it is exporting. So that was the original deal, and it was for six months. It was a six-month deal. What happened is what has happened so often over the course, not just of this particular conflict that we're in now, but ever since the start of the Ukrainian crisis, way back in 
2014, or you could go back even further to the Orange Revolution. A deal is done, terms are agreed, Ukraine doesn't implement its side of the deal, nor does, nor does the EU. <laughs> so, six months come up, the Russian Agricultural Bank has not been reconnected to SWIFT, insurance cover for Russian ships has not been provided, there's still problems getting food and fertiliser through uh, EU ports, Russian food and fertiliser through EU ports, but in the meantime, Ukrainian ships are sailing from Odessa and other Ukrainian ports. Now, what I've just said is not controversial. The UN Secretariat has agreed that the terms of the deal were not implemented, the, the EU Ukrainian side of the deal was not implemented. And so has Kavusoglu, who was the former foreign minister of Turkey. But anyway, Erdogan, who played an important role brokering the deal, and whose ships played, warships played an important role clearing the mines and escorting these Ukrainian ships, he invested an awful lot in this deal. He persuaded Putin at the end of the first six-month extension to extend the deal for another three months. And this was all done on promises that this time all the problems with the deal would be sorted out. They weren't sorted out. Nonetheless, after three months, the Russians agreed to extend it again. They got exactly the same promises. They also, I think, by this point, wanted to help Erdogan because, of course, he had a difficult election coming and he was able to use the fact that the grain deal was operating as part of his election platform. So they agreed a further extension, in other words, for another six months. But they made it very clear that that was the last extension. So unless these problems were resolved, the problems were not resolved. And Putin has said, we're tired of being strung along. We're not prepared to extend the grain deal any further. And that was what happened on Monday. It was not Russia pulling out of the grain deal exactly or cancelling the grain deal. It, it was the Russians simply saying, we are no longer agreeing to extend it. We are not participating in it any longer. There's been another twist to this, because as part of the grain deal, safe corridors were created for Ukrainian grain ships to pass through the Black Sea. I say Ukrainian grain ships. These are grain ships from various countries, but they're traveling to and from Ukrainian ports. Now, the problem is the Russians say that what happened was that totally contrary to the original terms of the original grain deal, Ukraine was using those corridors to smuggle weapons both into and out of Ukraine. They say the explosives that were used in the first attack on the Kerch Bridge back in September, for example, were smuggled through this corridor, this precise corridor, went to Turkey, went to Georgia, from Georgia they went in, back into Russia, this circuitous route. They also say that Ukraine has been using this area of sea to send motherships from which these seaborne drones are launched 
which have carried out attacks on Sevastopol or tried to carry out attacks on Sevastopol upon Russian warships patrolling the pipelines and which also attacked on Monday successfully the Kerch Bridge for a second time. So the Russians have said not only are they not prepared to renew the grain deal a third time, but they are no longer going to allow Ukraine or any ship of any kind to operate in these waters. So when you said that they've imposed a blockade, that is exactly what they have effectively done. They have said that this area of sea is contested. Any ship of any nationality that is navigating in this area, body of water, does so at its own risk. In effect, that means that insurance companies in the West will not insure ships into to travel through this area of water. And of course, the other thing that the Russians have done is that they have launched an absolutely massive, sustained bombardment with missiles and drones of all of these ports, Odessa, um, Nikolaev, other ports in this area. They've apparently destroyed all the port facilities, which in effect makes these, these ports essentially unusable. And that's going to stop, obviously, export of grain through Ukrainian ports. And it's also, according to the Russians, going to stop motherships leaving these ports with these drones and launching attacks on Russian installations again in future. So this is where we are. Uh, what do you make of the U.S. and Turkish response? Because both the U.S. and Turkey, in their own uh, different ways, they've said uh, essentially that there's nothing they can do. They're not going to escort ships into uh, Odessa. That's exactly what's happened. Now, I should say that there's been a constant media barrage, particularly in Britain, about the West intervening, sending warships into the Black Sea, um, escorting Ukrainian ships, in other words, going head-to-head -head with the Russians. Now, the US hasn't got any warships in the Black Sea, and the Turks have closed the Dardanelles. And I think that they mean that for real. They're not going to reopen the Dardanelles, the Straits, in order to allow American warships to enter the Black Sea. So it's not technically possible at the moment. And even if it was, the United States doesn't want to send its warships up against Russian warships and missiles and aircraft in the Black Sea. I mean, that would risk World War Three. And Turkey also is not prepared to take that risk for itself. There's, as we've discussed in many programmes, a limit to how far Erdogan himself is prepared to go in order to pull Putin's tail. He understands that he needs to work with Putin. In the end, he's not prepared to do this either. Now, there were threats before at the time when the grain deal was first extended, that if the Russians didn't agree to the extension, the Ukrainians and the Turks would continue with it by themselves, and the Turks would escort the grain ships. It's now absolutely clear that that was a bluff, and the bluff has been called. And besides, 
with the destruction of the ports. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense to allege that, to, 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 call, to, you know, to make that kind of bluff anymore because um, the port facilities are in no condition to handle grain cargoes or anyone else, anything else. Yeah, there's one thing that you uh, left out, actually, which is that Putin announced that he's going to give grain to countries that need it for free. Yes. So when I listen to you and what you've, what you've explained, my question to you is, the, the way you've explained how the Russians have, have game-planned this out, it sounds to me like uh, the, the Russians were, were 10 steps ahead of, of Ukraine and the collective West as they were maneuvering in this, uh, this grain deal because they've, they've, it seems like they understood that Ukraine's going to take another, another shot at Crimea or the Kerch Bridge. It seems like they understood that. And sure enough, they did. And knowing that Ukraine, the collective West, were not going to be able to restrain themselves because they're absolutely obsessed with, uh, with hitting Crimea. They then game-planned it out so that they can create the, the, the dynamics so, so, so that the, the port, Odessa, and, and launching these, uh, these attacks towards Crimea and shipping this, this grain out of Odessa and bringing weapons in, you know, weapons in, grain out, uh, it seems like they game-planned this so that it would be a non-issue going forward. They, uh, they created this blockade. Okay, so Ukraine attacks Odessa. They, they go to the international community, to their partners. They say, you see, we gave them a warning. We extended out of good faith and trust. They broke that agreement even after we warned them not to hit Crimea again. Uh, China, India, Brazil. What can we do? We're going to have to put a blockade. Those countries say, we understand. I mean, they're, they're hitting your territory. You have to do what you have to do. They put a blockade. They then say, okay, well, the insurance companies... They're, uh, they're not going to want to insure ships, but it's the United States. Maybe the United States will insure the ships, or maybe they'll find a way to, to work around the insurance company. So we'll destroy the ports. And then they understood that, okay, they're going to do all these things to make it so that the, the, the ships cannot uh, enter the Odessa port. They understood that they're going to have an information war on their, uh, on their uh, hands, and it's going to be that Russia's starving the world. And so Russia says, okay, well, free grain. I mean... Do you get what I'm asking you? Does, Absolutely. Do you, you, you think you, that the Russians understood where this is going to go to a certain extent and they, and they planned this all out, their moves, they planned them out? They planned them out very thoroughly and they, they understood everything and they planned their every move and they anticipated every step that the West would take. Now, first of all, can I just uh, say that, again, Ukraine and the West, especially Ukraine, has acted very foolishly in this affair because... The grain deal was working well for Ukraine. It was providing Ukraine with $500 million of revenue every year, every month, every month, $6 billion of revenue. Bear in mind that Ukraine is currently running a trade deficit of $11 billion a year. So it's got a big trade deficit. Its economy is being entirely propped up by the United States. 60 to 70% of its exports are food products. So it's lost, essentially, that vitally important money stream, which is one of the few money streams left that Ukraine had, which is independent of the West. Now it's gone. 
And why is he gone? Because they couldn't resist the uh, temptation to cheat on the deal. So they, they, they did what they always do. They, they take, but they don't give. The Minsk Agreement, it's the same story, if you think about it, all the way back to you know, the Maidan events. And the result is that the Russians planned it all extremely carefully. So the Russians renewed the deal again and again. They were talking to their friends all the time around the global south. Putin had a long conversation with Cyril Ramaphosa, the um, South African president, in which he explained it all to him very carefully. They're hosting an African summit. They're very, very careful to prepare their friends, including, by the way, even the Turks, about what was coming. Erdogan wasn't pleased, but he wasn't taken by surprise. And then, as you absolutely rightly say, they anticipated every single move. So first of all, Putin says, well, we're, pull, uh, we're not renewing, but you've got three months if you're prepared to <laughs> go ahead and, uh, um, you know, do all of the things that you promised. Then, you know, we'll reconsider our decision. But of course, everybody knows that many of the things that were pro that all of the things that were promised are simply not going to happen. I mean, the most important one of which, the two most important one of which, were not even in Ukraine's power, by the way. They were the reconnection of the Russian Agricultural Bank to SWIFT and the uh, lifting on sanctions on insurance of Russian shippers exporting grain. And the EU, like Ukraine, has never complied with that. Yeah. It's not complied with that because Ukraine has objected. And by the way, so has the United States. So Putin, on the one hand, says, look, if you're prepared to come back in three months, we'll reconsider. In the meantime, his military are making absolutely sure that the seas are blocked. These missile, these drone attacks are prevented in future. And by the way, they're making absolutely sure that the grain deal cannot be reactivated because the ports are destroyed. And then when there's an attempt to stir up an outcry, Putin comes back and says, look, we're prepared to provide you with all the grain you need for free. We produce far more food than Ukraine does anyway. Their harvest this year is going to be smaller, much smaller than it was last year. So, you know, the extent to which they can fulfill their commitments anyway is beginning to become problematic. We will step in. We will provide you with all the food you need. We're prepared to do it for free. And of course, in terms of insurance cover, well, it's different from what it was last year because we've now sorted it out. We've got our own insurance operating to provide cover for our own ships. So they did plan it out. They planned it out meticulously. And they also very, very thoroughly planned out the attacks on these ports. And the military side of the operation has been extremely thoroughly planned and executed as well. And it just all comes down to, to the point you made earlier, which is the Russians understood that the, uh, the Alensky regime and, and the West, they would not be able to resist a strike, another attempt to strike at Crimea. Yeah. And, and what did they gain out of it? They lost so much, and what did they gain out of it? 
Well, they gained nothing. I mean, uh, they, they, they've lost, yeah. they've gained absolute. I mean, right, they, they've damaged the bridge. It will take a few weeks to repair, and then it will be repaired and be back in operation. Whereas Ukraine has completely lost operation of its ports and can no longer export food, which are its major export. And of course, everyone is now talking about how this this opens up the path towards uh, towards Odessa, which absolutely exactly right. Exactly. So everyone views as as one of the big prizes uh, moves mm. that yeah crisis moves that that, that Russia is going to make in the future. We don't we don't know if they're going to, and if they do, we don't know when. But obviously, Odessa is one of the cities that everybody talks about as far Correct. as this conflict is concerned. Correct. Correct. And, of course, um, all of this at a time when Ukraine's offensive remains stuck. But, yeah. no, that's and, exactly and where were Ukraine's air defences? Well, this is, this is right. Yeah, okay, this is, this, is, this is another twist in this. Because, of course, um, uh, as we all know, when Russians launched missile strikes against Ukrainian cities, um, Ukraine invariably and always claims that it's shot down 90% of the missiles and drones that have been launched. Um, and they tried to do that initially as this particular strike was underway. But the damage on this occasion was far too extensive to conceal. So they've now had to admit that most of the missiles are in fact getting through. Most of the drones are getting through. It's the first time they've ever done that. And they're saying that their defences in the Odessa area, which were the strongest by the way, apparently, outside of Kiev itself, that their defences, their air defences, have been massively depleted and have essentially broken down, which is why the Russians are able to launch these missile attacks and drones, drone attacks with all this deadly effect. I personally think that this is uh, an admission of what has been true all along. And it should, again act as a warning to all of those people who take all of these claims by Ukraine to intercept uh, missiles and things so seriously. I mean, notice, for example, that Ukraine says that they have... I mean, one of the missiles that the Russians have used, two of the missiles that the Russians have used in these um, attacks on Odessa, the Onyx missile, which is supersonic, and the KH-22, which is supersonic, the Ukrainians have admitted that they don't have the means to intercept them. And yet, Ukraine simultaneously is claiming that it is able to shoot down hypersonic missiles, which are so much faster. They can't shoot down Onyx missiles and KH-22 missiles. And they didn't say that they can't shoot them down over a desert. They, suggest, they said that they can't shoot them down at all. Then, realistically, they're not shooting down hypersonic Kinjal missiles either. And yet there are still Western reporters and commentators and journalists who are taking those claims that Ukraine shot down those Kinjal missiles with Patriot Miss systems in Kiev as true. Well, this, this episode in Odessa should be a warning to people not to take these claims Ukraine makes about these successful interceptions as, um, you know, real. Yeah. 
All right, let's uh, wrap up the video. Uh, also, by the way, uh, before I wrap up the video, uh, from what I understand, the Eastern European countries, Poland and, uh, and I believe Bulgaria, Romania, that imposed blocks on Ukraine uh, food, from what I understand, they're not going to lift those blocks no. either, even no. though you have this situation in, in Odessa now. So it doesn't look like they're going to be coming to Ukraine's uh, aid either. No, they're not. I mean, this is going to be a massive blow to Ukraine's agriculture, which is already in a deep crisis, unsurprisingly, given that there is a war on. Now, it's not going to result in an immediate collapse of the Ukrainian economy, because what's going to happen is Ukraine has lost six to ten billion dollars of export revenue. But its friends in Washington and Brussels will try to make that up. And they will to some degree. But of course, it increases Ukraine's dependence on the West. And if money flows from the West start to slacken, which they probably will, by the way, then, of course, Ukraine risks descending into a big crisis because it is still importing goods, but it doesn't have exports with which to earn revenue to pay for those imports. Yeah, all right. We'll uh, leave it there. The Durant.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Rockfin, and Telegram. And go to the Durant shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.